0: Hello, everybody. Chef Marcus Giuliano here. Welcome to In the Weeds, In the Weeds, uh, episode number 34. Uh, we're going to talk restaurant tales, successes, failures, all about rest the restaurant industry. Today, I have a gem with me today. I've got Christian Christensen today from Canada, a real gem. i um, known Christian many years and love what he's doing. I've never been to your place, though, bro. And I, I, At some point when... Um, traveling gets better. I, I need to come up there and visit you. You've been to the US many times, we've hung out many times in the US. Um, but Christian, say hello, introduce yourself. And let's, uh, let's have a conversation.
1: Yeah, I love it. Thank you, Marcus. What a pleasure. Great to be here in the weeds with you. I, I know that motion and that feeling where that word comes from in our industry, for sure. I have felt it a few times. Uh, so Christian Christensen originally born in Iceland, family was a restaurant hotel family there moved to Canada. Actually, the US for in the early 70s, 71. My father went to college in U of, uh, University of Minnesota and then in Grand Forks um, for a few years. He uh, he quickly went from being a student to being a student professor, uh, being that he was a European trained guy in the early 70s. Um, got bought up by original, original gig was to go to Australia with the Marriott Hotel chain, but a wonderful group in Minnesota bought him up and kept him. And they went to start a, um, a steakhouse chain in that part of the, the U.S. Uh, he couldn't get immigration status because of the Vietnam War. And so he ended up in Canada. And so the first restaurant of that group was in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada, which is where I now live and where my restaurant is. And um, that is, a, you know, that's a long time ago. And the building that I'm in today, the building that I purchased uh, around 2012 is the building that my dad put his very first restaurant in. And it's a great conversation because, you know, we talk about, um, you know, the future and, and sometimes it's the past that's in the way and uh, it's hard to step out of the past. And so our restaurant, which was built uh, in 73, so in the uh, late 90s, it went through a renovation um, and, you know, just I think the writing on the wall of that industry. I mean, there are wonderful steakhouses everywhere. We all love them. Uh, in Winnipeg, there were four or five pretty good steakhouses. We were in the top for a long time. But our building was getting old it needed a large investment uh, the beef industry was going crazy product costs all over the place and um, my father was retiring my father had had about 20 restaurants in his best of times a really great local chain that he created I sold it later um and, uh, and so i i personally wasn't really a part of his chain outside of saying i barked in a couple of times and a few things as a kid but i was always there watching that experience and I ended up coming back. I was a uh, my background is telecom technology sales. So we had a telephone business in Manitoba for many years, and when we sold it, I became a director at Auto Trader. And in my exiting of that print world, I went to help my dad for a little while, so he could sell the original restaurant, which was at the time called the Round Table Steakhouse. And uh, that uh, process was. Um, difficult because honestly at that point the restaurant was 40 plus years old it needed another renovation ceilings were probably a touch low for that look um to renovate a steakhouse in 2000s 2010s uh you weren't doing a lipstick on a pig you were doing a multi-million dollar full upgrade because you were going to start to go for the 60 70 steaks and as prices were starting to rock and i remember you know prime rib dinners at the round table were 16 dollars when I left, they were almost 30 something, and we knew they were gonna climb into the 40s and 50s and that that product would, you know, unfortunately kind of price itself out. And that's exactly kind of what happened. Um, we, uh, it's, a, it's an interesting emotional process to decide to take a restaurant chain, because, you know, inevitably the Roundtable Table Steakhouse was the catalyst to us coming to Canada, being in the restaurant business. And even for myself to go into the restaurant business, it was the catalyst because it was at a point where it was struggling. My background is business development, so growing business is what I do. And we did. We grew it by almost 30%, but the margins just weren't there. The cost to grow an old concept, to try to reintroduce it to a younger demographic. You know, attrition takes 3% of your customers away every year if your customers are in the senior category. And so you are not only just trying to find new customers all the time, but you have to consider that 3% loss every year. And so. The steakhouse business really does focus on a, a, a more financially, you know, a, a better income category, an age, a certain type of person, and today, wow, would it, could you even pick five people under the age of thirty that would all want a steak in the, in a room? I mean, it would be quite a process nowadays, right? It sure and is. With all the other, yeah, and all the other food challenges of gluten and so on understandably i mean people have become very intelligent to what they're eating i understand food much better than what we did i mean you know we, we ain't click don't get me wrong i had spam a little while ago i did it as a joke out of a can you know and that sound that reminded me of 1975. <laughs> uh, never to be done again so um yeah the steakhouse business clearly had writing on the wall it had it was a time to commit. It was either to go commodity pricing or to stay high end.
0: All right, great. So, so you're making. I hate to interrupt you because you're on a yeah. roll. You're on a roll yeah. here. So you're, you I mean, this, so the hotel, the restaurant business is in your family for years. Your father. Yeah. I mean, this is this is a natural fit for you. You veer off. You go into telecommunications. You go work for Auto Trader. You you veer off. What, what right that you what brought you back into the business? You said you, you said you were coming back to help your father sell the steakhouse.
1: Yeah, yeah. But that's not what
0: happened. Yeah. What was the so, turning point that selling to running it and taking it right. away? So, or, or, or did he yeah. sell it to you? Or did he sell it to you?
1: Okay, so that, that's a good question. So 2010, I show up January 2010. By 2012, I look at him and I say, look, you know, and and one of my advantages is that, of course, I have a love for food. I'm not a chef like you, but up against, you know, 100 chefs, I'm easily in the middle of that pack. And I um, and so my background has always been around the kitchens. I've loved it. And so what happened was I had this food interest. And so when I was with AutoTrader, I was traveling to the biggest cities around North America, uh, having an opportunity to go to the coolest places trying the most high-end to the most interesting. And uh, and I'm a total fan of locally owned. So when I travel, I really hunt for that. And I always have. And I think it's because I also sense a certain simplicity, uh, maybe an overly simplicity, oversimple program around a lot of the chains. So, you know, it, it loses its luster quickly for me. Although there's lots of good chains out there. Uh, although I'd rather the locals win. <laughs> so, um I uh, at, at that point, I look at my dad and I said, "Look at you know, this has probably got to happen. You need to sell this. There's nobody going to give you any real money. So the real response here is that I would be willing to take it over, buy it, for you know, not, not a lot of money. But I won't do it unless I own the land because it's a 8,000 square foot building on somebody else's property, and I'm going to drop two and a half million dollars in." I need to know that uh, in five years, my rates are through the roof and they're just going to keep eating me up. Right. I also was thinking a lot about if I'm going to get in this, how long am I in it and how do I get out? And so that because I wasn't really thinking restaurant future, although I love it, uh, there's lots of aspects of it. But I, as a kid, always felt that the restaurant industry was tough on our family just because of the hours and all those things. And um, and that's not an actually an accurate statement, because I think it's a choice more than it is an in industry. And uh, there are better ways, right? Better ways to run your business than to let it run you. And so here and there oh. at that time, right? So I um, I, I ended up looking at him and said, well, listen, here's the deal. We know the landlords. My dad wasn't able to buy the land when it became available. It had originally been owned by CN because it's on the railroad tracks in Winnipeg. So they always owned it. And then one day it went for sale. And at that time, my father didn't buy the business or the land. And so I was able to buy it. So, when I bought it, I bought it at a very good rate. The people that owned it, it was a group. They were all kind of done. They're getting older. They were happy to dump it, take the cash, and go have fun. And So, I bought the property. And with that, I took kind of a model. I took a model that I had worked on for my father and said, look, we're going to test it in the lounge. The lounge in the round table was 135 seats, uh, the restaurant was 300 seats, big place. And um, and so I took the bar. And one of the challenges we were having was when the restaurant filled on a Friday Saturday, the bar overflowed and the kitchen got destroyed every single weekend forever. And as the menus got more complicated, it got harder. Uh, you know, if we look at 1970, there were eight items on the menu. Now <laughs> there's 32, 35, you know, 28. And uh, and so we um, we took the bar off. We did not allow the steakhouse menu in there. We rebranded it. And we went into a gastropub model. I took, and this is, 19, this is 2012. I took all of the, 2013-ish, uh, I took all of the local domestic stuff off of the beer list. I carried one bottle and I went full draft, 16 taps. And at that time, craft hadn't happened in, in where we were. Um, it was, the, you know, it was a new word and it was more European brewing, right? So we were bringing in more Belgian, more of that.
0: Have you put yeah. any money? Have you put any money into the place besides new tap handles? You have didn't, didn't do any major renovations yet, correct? Yeah,
1: no. I, I put in two hundred fifty grand into the bar. Okay. And I I re I totally redid it. New furniture, new vibe, new feel, and um and it boomed. It went from being a three hundred thousand dollar add on, if you can imagine that, one hundred and thirty six seats, three hundred grand a year, to a million seven the moment after we spent the two fifty
0: in the bar alone. Correct. The bar alone. Wow. That's right.
1: Yeah. And, and I mean, you know, there's one thing about being a business development guy. When you're looking at a diamond in the rough, you know, you're going to be amazing at the beginning. It's the next couple of steps, obviously, right? So I went out, you know, I was at zero, really. And so to go from 300 grand and up, that wasn't going to be hard. But could I get that money back? Could I get the 250 back? And if I'm making five points on my money, that's a long time. And, uh, and so, I needed to get to a margin that made sense, and what what happened was we created a problem, which was we suddenly created two menus, and we created a different kind of problem. Uh, we we um, we just got much busier, and we grew the business overall by about thirty percent. And but we could not get the young people in the building. It was tagged as the place your parents went, your grandparents went. So the brand, the roundtable brand, was very dated, very you know. And to recover it at that point, uh, it, that's an interesting thing to look at, because, you know, I believe that every seven years, your restaurant needs a facelift, it needs an update, it needs a fresh feel, color change, some furniture updating, you know, it's an opportunity to just pop the menu, for sure, you know, you're doing that more often, but every seven years, if you miss multiple seven years, you really are way, way behind, you're losing the, the demographics, and you don't notice it, and it's like it's kind of the same thing as I say. You know, you take a brand new, awesome item, and Marcus, you're the master of these great items. You'll know that you know the item is amazing. You've created a dish that is for everybody, but within a week, your staff are like, it's not selling, and even <laughs> right, and you're like, no, no, just wait. It needs six months. And
0: that is right? such a great point. People, people open up for brunch, and they're like, six months later, oh, it wasn't working. They start yeah. doing, oh, it wasn't working. I'm like first of all, how are you promoting it? Who are you telling? Um right. and, and six months, that's it? That's all you're giving it? it? And That's the, one of the biggest mistakes I see with people trying something new. And I'll watch restaurants go through two or three concepts in two years. I'm like, yeah. what are you this week? I mean, I, I don't know. I don't right. know what to expect there. And that kills your business because once, once people start liking one thing and you're changing it all again and then all of a sudden you change it again, people are like, they're confused by all this. Yeah, yeah. It, it's yeah, nice yeah. to make upgrades, but you're in it for the long haul, people. Long haul. I
1: agree. Because if, if you're going to chase trends, you're going to chase them forever. Because you can't be a trendsetter. It's not set in our beautiful little towns around the world. It is set in, in New York City, and it's set in L.A., and it's set in Paris and, you know, in Milan. And, and then it bleeds out to us. By the time it gets to my little town in the middle of Canada, uh, you know, it's seven, eight years late, right? <laughs> so trends are scary. And it's the same thing on the flip side. You, you create a terrible model. It, you're not going to pick up on it until six, seven months. And you've proven to everybody you you have a terrible model. And so it, I think six months is an important number. And so what happened was we realized that, um, you know, in, in going through the process of uh, analyzing what we were doing, we'd come up with a great concept. We had fought through it. But what we did is we created a monster, which was, that we did a lot of features. We did five features. They were called the today's. They ranged from $5 to $50. There was a different category, you know, so snack to app to kind of a, you know, uh, all sorts of different fun, playful food. It was very chef very cool. Not foodie, chef <laughs> You know, this was, and I think that's another thing that's important to recognize, that if, if you're cooking the same stuff people are doing on Instagram, that's not the food that's selling in your restaurant that's not that's not that's not the talent we're looking for and that's not a discredit to the people that do it there it's just that when you drive to a restaurant you pull out your wallet you sit down in a seat and you got a team behind it your expectations are high and so we found out that that was true that people wanted to spend money they wanted to taste a new flavor they wanted to hear about new ideas they wanted to know in winnipeg wanted to know what people were doing in la they wanted to know what they were doing in new york state and you know, and in and in uh, in New Orleans and, and all that, in Kansas City and and France and Italy and Asia. And so, we built this concept. It created a problem. We realized that our best option was actually to convert the entire restaurant to the bar. But,
0: okay, so actually, so so right now you're half you're half gastropub and half steakhouse still, correct? <laughs> dining room seats are steakhouse still, um, and, the bar is gastro pub and the bar's gastropub and the bar's killing it right now.
1: Yeah, yeah. killing it.
0: Okay. So now how long, how long did it take you to make to, to make up your mind to say, okay, let's do it all now?
1: Well, there, there were some challenges, there were some things going on, some opportunities we saw, and we thought, you know, we're at a precipice. We have to choose. We're on a we're teetering on the, you know, the, the pin here of which way this goes. And the biggest issue was who wanted to do it? And I didn't really want to do it. I, I didn't really want to be locked in a restaurant. Um, I didn't really want to develop a new concept, um, but I I um, had gotten myself into it by buying the place and then bought the business from my father. Um, and that was probably the best thing I ever did because, you know, I get a guy who's been at it for 65, 70 years as my greatest advocate invested because, you know, we did this together. And uh, and so I um, I just decided it had to happen. and. I had looked at um, putting a condo there. I had looked at building all sorts of ideas, to converting it to many things. And what I realized was based on my skill set, my family, I was not a developer. So to learn that on my one property was a bad idea because the odds of me even making money on my first development was pretty risky and I would end up just kind of you know, floating it. And that's not what I would want to do. It, it needed to be. It needed to be a cash flow opportunity, right? I mean, that's what it was for. And and I wasn't uh, real estate rich. I wasn't at that time, and so it was important that whatever I did, it made money. So when we were done, we realized we had a steakhouse that had a good reputation, not great. Um, it had um, a menu that was very difficult to expand on. Even to sell more fish was a challenge. I thought that was interesting. Uh, pasta was not a thing people came there for. Prime rib. And we were the largest prime rib sales for CAB in an independent restaurant in Canada. Wow. We sold so many prime ribs that there were nights where we would sell 20 logs. Like, you know, of course, Christmas time. Wow. Can you imagine? I'd run a, I'd run a, a Ulta sham twice through the day, each time taking six and a half hours to have enough holding in my CVAP for the evening. It was pretty amazing. Wow. And, yeah, and and it was probably one of the best things because it also sped up my kitchen for many benefits. But, you know, today that's a tough gig with those prices that we're into. Um, So now it was okay. Well, now you got to put the money together for the development. And what what came of it was that the one issue I had was I was in 8,000 square feet. I had 460 seats in the existing restaurant. And there's no way that a concept in Winnipeg, Manitoba in 2015, whenever we're going to open, is going to be able to seat 400 people. That's just not going to happen. And so we knew that we needed to deal with square footage and we are on a prime real estate location. We're paying big bucks for the square footage. Even if it's ours, I'm still paying the mortgage, still valued out at that price. So we, um, we realized that whatever we did had to make money per square foot. And so we were just in 2012, the rumblings that craft beer was going to be deregulated. And I call it that because they had established a, uh, a taxing system that would keep the small breweries out because the Molson's and the Labatt's negotiated those deals.
0: Right. And this, so, is, in this Canada, is in Canada. This is in Canada. I remember true. you and I having right. conversations how hard it was for you to get beer there. And right. you'd come to America and you'd be like, yeah. Marcus, what's good? What am I drinking? Let's do this. Sure. We can't get any of this in Canada. And I'm like, <laughs> how, thinking, how do you run a restaurant without all these great beers I man think
1: about it think of the odells and the stones and the lagunitas and there's just so many amazings and we had heard of anything right and and that was the one advantage was that i had been in the us much more i'd been seeing you guys i'd been going to minneapolis i'd been going to you know uh colorado and to, to the west coast and exactly that was kind of an amazing scene it was so far ahead of us though it was crazy i mean you guys, were, you guys were pouring IPAs like they were all day long, and we thought there was soap in the beer. That's how <laughs> big a gap we were. It was hilarious. Um, and so what happened was we realized that the brewery part was really exciting. I went and did a research trip. I met with um, probably about 25 brewery owners, and I had 13 questions with them. And I sat down with them, and I asked the 13 questions, and I got some amazing help. Uh, from some amazing people. And I was in markets that didn't have to worry about if we were competitive or not. Most of them were in Vancouver or in Minnesota or in a few spotty locations through the US. And the information I got was amazing. The one thing like you'll know is that if you're gonna buy a pre-cooked burger and you're gonna buy a frozen bun and the cheapest cheese Mm. and pretend that you're making a cheeseburger, and I guess you could call it a cheeseburger, but that's got no love in it, and I and I—that's just for me. When I think of what we do, we're about freshness, organic, if we can do it, all the things that are healthy and beautiful for our customers. So we um, we dug into it. Well, the brewing world is the same, if not more. I mean, there—it's a big deal. The quality of water, the commitment, the reality of of being unique. Uh, if if I wake up every morning and I just got to steal every idea that Stone does down in California, well. I'm never gonna get as good as them because there's no authenticity to it and so it was a big deal because it needed a lot of love and passion and so we made that commitment and uh we we you know we didn't buy the cheapest junk we bought the best equipment and we bought the right size we we were really encouraged to buy small they said you know christian for you and 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 this will be the truth in the kitchen is that committing to doing it many times versus you know we have breweries that might brew once every three weeks because the systems are so big and so they only brew every three weeks Well, we brew every three or four days and so in a year our people are are you know they 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 know the handles on their pans you know they really understand their equipment and they know what a micro touch of some button does and so we've committed to that with great brewers great people great materials um, and uh, that was important because that knocked off 2,500 square feet of our building. It brought us into a really fun, you know, elevated gastropub.
0: So you're now you're you're now building a brewery. You're redoing the whole yeah. restaurant, and you're putting a brewery in the restaurant. So since you're a brew pub, right. you're a brew pub. So now you said yeah. some really really key points here. You know, this this is a great story because obviously. Many people will say, they'll make many excuses of why their business isn't working, but they change nothing on it. And they're riding on the coattails of what they had in the 80s or the 90s, or even 10 years ago, a decade ago, they're riding on those coattails. They don't understand why people aren't coming in. And right. the, way we learn, the way we learn is through um, education, right? You educate yourself yep. through yep. conversation, which this is great because you visited 25 brewers and you had 13 scripted questions for all twenty-five, so conversation and you learn yeah. observation. So you'd come to the U.S., you'd see yeah. what was happening outside of your yeah. own market, because I got to yeah. tell you, people get lost in their own market and they can't think beyond the box, and they don't, know, they don't even know where the box ends, right? Because they don't know the outside right. world, and and so um, education, conversation, and observation. So you. Employ- yeah. All of those in your strategy there, which is brilliant, yeah. right? Not knowing yeah. that was it, but you had a you had a plan. Thirteen questions, twenty five, and I'm sure you got very different answers from each person. In some cases, I'm sure some was the yeah. same, but I'm sure some was like, "Oh, interesting! Like I didn't, haven't heard that yet." Um,
1: right, right. You know that's so cool. But you know what was so amazing though? All the ones I went to not not all of them were the best breweries some of them were in the earlier phases and so on what was uh, what was consistent about the really good ones was that they were hard work super clean uh, best product best beer don't ever pour a beer that you wouldn't drink yourself you know it was all about quality cleanliness all about the absolute golden rules and some of them even said to me hey, you're just some business dude with money. Don't waste your time. You're going to hurt our industry. Like I had people slap me basically by saying, you're not the guy that should be in this business. And that was the best conversation I got because same thing. If you're stuck in your old restaurant because you got there somehow, either it's family attrition, whatever, You just it's the way it happened. You thought you were going to be a manager. Now you're the owner and it's eating you alive. Uh, you need to do exactly what we're talking about, which is you need to stare in the mirror and make a decision to push through. Uh, my brother says a saying, it's says, while you're in it, stay at it. Right. And that's the reality. D- just not asking if you like it or not, it's you're in it. So be the best you can, and then make some new decisions and move forward, right?
0: Did, 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 that, did that answer motivate you when they, said, when they said stay out of the business?
1: It sure did. Yeah, there's a brewery in Minnesota, in in uh, Moorhead, Minnesota, called the Junk House. And it is, it was a beautiful three barrel little system. He was super creative, really cool beer. And he, Aaron Jung looked at me and said, don't waste our time. If you're going to just be here thinking you're throwing money at it, there's enough bad breweries out there. We don't need any more. And I have to tell you, I, I was so perfectly insulted in the right way. And you can't offend me because his intention was true and honest. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, sometimes the being offended is the reality of, that you're not hearing that you have a problem and so you know he was addressing that i could become the problem very easily by thinking that i would just buy a machine put my money in it and spit out good beer and we would just do great and so he was making it very clear to me that this was hard work and and that's what it was right there's just nothing easy about it but the okay, transition
0: so, so, yeah, now, so now, you're, now now you're buying equipment you put right. 2500 square feet aside for this you're, yeah. do, you're doing a full renovation Yep. You're doing a whole yeah. makeover. So the building inside is not going to look the same when people walk in from before. How about the outside Perfect. of the building, exterior? I gutted the
1: entire building to the studs. Wow. I, I left the sheeting on the studs in most cases, but I gutted everything from ceiling to roof to air, air system, electrical, everything came out of the building, including, including you went back. In. Including
0: the bar you upgraded for 250000 everything yeah, i got
1: thrown out that got picked up and thrown in the top stairs of my barn here at home
0: uh, how did that feel how did that feel tear, tearing apart it, tr-
1: felt, it, it felt really stupid but it also felt like it was the right direction no matter if it was stupid i mean at the end of the day i paid you know 250 grand and i probably got some of that money back but what i did get was an expensive lesson that i needed because i was not a restaurateur um, i'm a business person i understand how to move that dial but I didn't know the business well enough. The other thing that I did do is I joined a group, a platinum group of restaurateurs. And that also played a huge role in my ability to cut the umbilical cord of an old thinking. Uh, My father used to say, if you stand at the hostess stand all day long, you're gonna learn more about your business. I was like, yeah, I don't really need to learn more about my business. I need to learn more about the market and about how to dominate and win. And instead of being locked inside my doors, talking to my hostess and my guests who I love, it wasn't that. It was that I was the wrong guy to stand there. And and so that, that group that I went through, they really cut those shackles off of me. And, and I knew it. it. There was a day actually where I knew it. And then they, somebody, the, the head guy said it. And I thought, oh, my God, like, is that for real? Can I agree that these, all these people agree with me that this is the right answer? And it was a very special day. It was right. a turning point for me. Yeah.
0: Right. right. And so, I, so, you know, and, you yeah. and this is a group I met you in. This is a high-end mastermind right. group that was probably much more than any one of us could have afforded when we first started. Every member right. goes yeah. in and says, I can't afford to pay these high monthly fees, travel across mm-hmm. the country every three times a year, pay for everything. Yeah. I just can't afford it. And we took the plunge and we did it. And right. um, it was one of the best things I ever did, I know, for myself. And, uh, you know, locking ourselves in a room with a 100... Other very motivated restaurant owners for three yeah. days at a time, three times a year, and share everything: education, conversation, yeah. observation.
1: Absolutely.
0: That's that totally changed my whole outlook on my sales, yeah. my life, all of that. My life, my work yeah. balance. It forced it forced me to do things that I couldn't force myself to do prior to that. And it was amazing. So that's how we met, and and we did this one. When, when, when did you join the group?
1: Uh, I'm gonna say I joined it in 2010. 2010. Okay. Uh, when I started health, 2010 2011. Uh, I think it was. Yeah. And then yeah, and I uh, I was in the group. There were when I shut down the restaurant, I pulled out because I I didn't know if I was gonna be six months or a year. I wasn't gonna keep paying the dollars, and uh, and then I moved on from the group a little while ago you know, COVID was really the catalyst to that. Um, and uh, not being able to properly take advantage of that part of that is me. I know that there's people in that group that just they just it just doesn't stop giving to them. Right. And, uh, and yeah, so I stuck with it as long as it made sense for me. And in reality is these are business decisions. And, um, and I will uh, always love and respect the lessons I got out of that group for sure.
0: Likewise, I, I was in the group yeah. for 11 years. And I'm not in that group anymore. But I'm in other groups. I mean, other groups that, that, that push me, that motivate me, that educate me, yeah. that hold me accountable. And I've been yeah. in several groups since I left that group. Um, beautiful. How important do you think it is for a restaurant owner to be in that kind of environment with, with, with your peers? And, 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 yeah. and, and, and whatever you want to call it, a mastermind, having a coach, having a business coach, having a mentor. How important right. was that for you? For obviously, for you, probably your father was your mentor for a long time, right? Watching yeah, yeah. run twenty-two restaurants. Oh my gosh, yeah. this is great! But then, how do you how do you transition to a, a, a mastermind group, or how do you view how important it is for for mentors and 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 this, and and how different was that from from watching your father? Your father was obviously a success. Twenty-two restaurants is is, yeah. is no slouch no at all. Slouch, no. no. Right.
1: No, yeah, I mean yeah, absolutely. and and uh, actually, you know he his his mentorship was in his vulnerability to sharing everything with me. So you know, he gave me the greatest gift, which was his thoughts. Uh, there's one thing we to told about how to do inventory, but to really hear the inside thoughts of a person who's going through the ownership of that many restaurants, all of the problems and the opportunities, but all of it going on, uh, that lesson was spectacular. Um, the the, the the idea of taking on a platinum, you know, one of these uh, groups is that, uh, you know, I think there's three types of owner. I break it into three all the time because it's it easy to count to three. Us <laughs> Icelanders, you know, that English language thing. And uh, <laughs> so, you know, you get experts, people like yourself who are experts in your business. You're a chef, you've done the front of the house, you've been involved in it for so many years, you're an expert. Then there's guys who, are in the entry position of brand new to this, uncertain of a lot of things, following the, the business, uh, you know, the book, the restaurant owner's book for dummies thing and learning quickly, um, but painfully. And then there's somewhere in the middle. And I was in the middle because I've been around it a long time, uh, I've been aware of it, I've been a part of conversation and all sorts of things. I'd helped him run the group a couple of times where he was in, in some moments. And so management is a, a comfortable space to dive in for me. Uh, Not to say that I'm an expert at it, but, and so I uh, think it is absolutely key because you're going to be doing one of the things you're either ultra true to yourself and beating yourself up at the worst of cases, or you're a master of lying to yourself that it's just the week. It's the, oh, there was bad weather. There's the, you know, all of that. You know, a lot of guys live in that hole. And so becoming vulnerable, being honest about how good or bad you're doing is the first greatest step you do as an owner, because now you're dealing with real information, right? And so look in the mirror, you know, I beat myself up. I don't know if I've ever been happy in the sense of business, because there's always room to improve. And we are a continuous, our mantra is continuous improvement, you know, consistency, world-class, we are all about it, right? 100%. And, And those three things are so hard. I mean, just get French fries to be the same fries every day for a month, right? Yep. And and so, you know, that was the thing. And I think that there is just nobody that doesn't need that help, even the best. You know, there are people in our group that we know who who uh, were who part of the beginning phase, like yourself, who've had a ton of time, a lot of restaurant experience, multiple restaurants, and they still look to each other for support and guidance and advice. And every once in a while, over a bottle of wine at dinner, you break into a piece of your conversation that's maybe less uh, less flattering and you get the best advice from your friend, which is usually they agree with what you really think you should do,
0: right? Yeah, yeah you, 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 you usually
1: you, you know
0: you 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 said some awesome things here. I like master of lying to yourself. We you become yeah. masters of lying to ourselves, and yeah. you know um, that is so true. People say I've done everything. I've done everything, or it's not my fault. It's this. It's that. It's I can't get good staff. That's right. all right. a lie. You can get good staff. You, you right. I mean, you can you can you can do whatever you want, but you, if you tell yourself right. you're done, you're, you're totally yeah. done. So master of yeah. to yourself. I'm going to use that. I took yeah. note of that. That is fantastic. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and I
1: think the, the word that I love is vulnerability because it's bigger than that, because that's why we did so well. Marcus in that group was that we got so personal about our own personal goals about waking up on a sailboat or if it was having a cabin somewhere or taking a month to do the Alps or mm-hmm. whatever it was we got to the point that we started talking about that and then we really realized that real goals helped us get to where we are today i run a restaurant i i don't need to go to my restaurant at all that's how i run my restaurant all of my systems are forced to be systems for 10 restaurants every leader in my team is told you know i'm I'm looking at a chef right now and I said to him, how are you going to run this kitchen from home? And he, he went totally quiet on the call. And he goes, well, I've never heard that. I said, well, what are you going to do when you take the month off to go to France to do that training at the greatest restaurant you've ever been to work with the best people? How are you going to do that without worrying about inventory and about ordering and about cleanliness and about you know, people showing up on time? What did you do? Because I know today the manager of McDonald's is the one doing it. It's not the owner. The owner is teaching everything they know, giving it all the way to his people. Right? All systems,
0: it's all systems. All, totally. Repetition of systems. Follow up on the systems. Yeah, it's all the follow up. A lot of people make follow a system and they ne- they <laughs> never check on it. They never that's check right. on the system. But I told them, it's been been in writing for three months. Yeah. But nobody's holding right. me accountable for that's doing the right. checklist for doing it right. the proper way. For for following up, you have you, know, you have right. to inspect um, inspect what you expect. And you know, and it's just like this with with team training, with staff training. Training is not something you did, something's training something you do consistently, almost on a daily basis, whether it's a simple role play, whether it's whether it's a little pop quiz, and even if it's you'd be surprised. Like training is like, what is our phone number? What is our address?
1: Right,
0: right. How do you transfer a call? Right. How do you transfer a call? How do you answer the phone? How do you greet people at the door? And it's just it's amazing. All right. So now there's so many things we're talking about here. So
1: yeah,
0: yeah, you're putting, you're putting in a 2,500 square foot brewery. Do you, know how to yeah. make beer? do you know how to make beer at this point?
1: No. So here's what's amazing. Not only do I not know how to make beer, but I don't even know what a brewery really should be like. So I don't have a brewery yet. It's hard to find them because our market is kind of deregulated. So everybody's got a job out of the all the people trying to start a brewery. And when we opened, by the way, that same year that I opened 13 breweries opened. So, so keep in mind how crazy that's part of it is. But, so I don't have a brewer, but I have a lot of people that have given me great advice. I've been to some breweries, gotten very intimate about conversation. Um, then I spoke to a supplier that I had a lot of faith in and we designed it based on the square footage. Um, we, you know, custom heights, we had height issues and all of that. And um, we, uh, so we went ahead with that. And now what's happening is that in my city, there isn't really any regulations about how a brewery is to be built because they haven't built one in Manitoba in many, many, many moons. So now the regulations are an issue. Now they're talking about fire explosion issues. Uh, instead of glass, I got to have a ceramic glass. Uh, I've got a maximum amount of square inches that I'm allowed for windows in, like all sorts of crazy things, um, wastewater challenges. So that list happened. And so that's happening. But on the same time, I'm developing a new concept out of the bar brand. I'm taking that concept and I'm reworking it, taking getting rid of some of the challenges within that concept and coming up with a new brand. And I'm also trying to find a soul. And at the time, local is being really important. Local growing vegetables, eating local, supporting local, is really kind of happening, starting. And so one of the problems in the community that we live in, like right now, if you look outside, there is not one inch on the earth that you can drive within two hours that isn't fully white covered in two feet of snow here. And so we have a long winter. We have a small growing season, so limited to very few products, mostly root vegetables, microgreens. That's about all we can get annually.
0: But dude, you, so, m- you must have local cheese. You must have local Brit- uh, no, no,
1: no, there's no local cheese because the Canadian cheese market <laughs> is uh, fully controlled. There's no artisan cheese. There's no artisan anything. Everything has to be government regulated, very difficult to find that lovely, you know, everything has to be pasteurized. There's no, you can't find non-pasteurized anything in Canada. Um, You can't grow your own vegetables at your restaurant and serve them because you have to be licensed as a growing facility. Um, And you know, putting bees bees on your roof and making honey, that's a battle. Um, And so, you know, we're really struggling and that's because we gave our government too much control here. And that's a separate conversation but so it became a, a challenge to be local we do have the best pork here in manitoba uh, we have great chicken here we have got great beef um although we're not very much of it so most of it comes from alberta or the u.s and uh, uh saskatchewan and so but we wanted to honor it so what we did is we really wanted to honor it around the people of our history and manitoba has an interesting colorful history that's never really been celebrated enough and so we hunted and for example, the guy that created the character of James Bond is from Winnipeg. Very cool. Yeah, he was at a famous spy that went and worked with England during World War II. Uh, World War I actually, I, I gotta double check my notes, but he then um, taught the CIA or the FBI how to be how to be spies. And his story is super cool. It's hard to find because it's a secret. Uh, but it's a beautiful story. And, and so it's another great thing. And then at the same time, my mother had just passed away and my connection with my mom was beautiful. And I and she was really the strength in our household. She was the powerhouse of our family. Not to discredit it, my dad's a great guy, just she had a uniqueness to her. And um, when we lost her, it was a really neat reminder. It had a young daughter, it was very important to me. I come from Iceland where I believe we, we really see ourselves as equals. And uh, I love that community. And that belief, and in and, and so um, there was another famous person that was part of Winnipeg, which was Nellie McClung, who fought for women's rights. And She was the one that took women from being uh, property to being able to vote and become individuals. So she, you know, think of the power of this woman standing in a room of a bunch of dudes with those white, gray, fake hair things, and and they're all yelling at her, and she fought to win that case with her and her team. And I thought that is powerful. And the word. Uh, you know, we've been working on food and all sorts. And we're talking about braising food and all these things. And brazen came out of it. She was considered a brazen bitch.
0: And okay, so I was going to ask where the name came from.
1: Yeah, it came from a many little places. But she kind of put the final nail into that beautiful box of ideas. And she, she, she really um, was, it's an interesting thing to have that connection locally uh, with my mom being as tough as she was as well. And so we, we hung on to that, and uh, we really, that's kind of where Brazen, the word Brazen comes from. Brazen Hall is our restaurant. Brazen Brewing Company is our brewery. And so that was the, the fuel that got that conversation going.
0: Great. And, so, so, uh, so you created two companies, a brewery, some brewery company, and separate, and, and, and then the restaurant. Are I, you... actually,
1: I actually only created one, and originally it was Brazen Hall Kitchen and Brewery. Okay. And, and then the brewery has become such a going concern with such great opportunity because our our commitment to quality i think is one of our greatest strengths and we um we've now separated the brand it's still the same company but it's now brazen brewing company is the operating as for the brewery okay and brazen hall is the operating for the restaurant
0: are you allowed yeah. to sell to other restaurants
1: i do i sell to all sorts of restaurants all liquor stores uh, all government liquor stores beer vendors we call them here um, beautiful the beer stores and it's booming it's really exciting It's unfortunate we started canning on the day that COVID happened, but, you know, whatever. It's just another thing. Like we said, it's our challenge. We have to figure it out. Uh, There's nothing we can do except move forward, right?
0: Okay. So I I want to back up to You're building a 2,500-square-foot brewery. You're getting equipment. You don't know how to brew beer. What is your plan to brew beer? What what are you going to do? What's what's on your mind?
1: Uh, Right. So I'm going to hire a head brewer or brewmaster. I'm going to find somebody that aligns with our cultural beliefs. And uh, and so I start looking for that person. And, and that's a slow process. I also realize I'm in a community of, of people, lots of rest, lots of guys doing this, lots of people doing this. And um, so I don't want to go out and steal people. I want to be supportive of everybody. I want to make sure that I'm a part of their culture because the brewery world isn't about being a brother sisterhood. It's about caring for each other. Even when we compete at the at the store, that's we let that's when we're done. We just get it there and let the store work it out. And we, uh, but until then, if somebody needs grain or somebody needs to borrow my equipment or I can help, that's what we do in our community. And I wasn't going to start that by stealing somebody's person.
0: That, 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 that's such a great, such a great angle and, and a lot of admiration for that. Um, and you're right, beer, the beer culture, you guys just work together. You have fun together. I mean, I've never, I've never seen when I go to these beer conferences and beer festivals, All the brewers know each other they're all friends with each other they all work with each other um know, you know you go to a restaurant show and it's like chefs and stuff we don't work well that we have we have our friends that we click with but we don't work we don't work like brewers do together you know (laughs) know, there's collaboration after collaboration on beer and like like you don't really see chefs collaborating they do but they you really don't see like, you know, like true collaborations and a lot more collaborations. So yeah, so yeah. Our chefs can learn a lot from, uh, from, from the brew culture, the brew world. So, all that's, right. So that's true. Yeah. How, long, how long did it take you to, to, to get a brewer um, picked out and up and going?
1: So um, in that same moment, we hire a group out of LA to do our design work. And our, so we got to put together a story package to them they fly out they do the walkthrough because they're going to give us the design and then we're going to move that to an architect locally and then we're going to get get the permits we're going to hire a team and we're doing that at the same time as we're developing a brewery and so all these things are happening and we also know that when we close the restaurant it needs to stay it needs to die it needs to be gone you right so i'm thinking okay how long i mean i would like a full year but a year is gonna cost me about $300,000 to sit there um, to hire key, because I've already caught a couple of my key people. So that means I'm gonna carry payrolls. I gotta carry taxes, loans, you know, all of the mortgage. I gotta pay all that while my building sits empty. So we ended up being um, about uh, 10 months, 10 and a half months closed and then reopened. Our construction started and finished in five months. And what happened was I was struggling to trust. I had so much going on. I couldn't trust. And I, I had a problem with connecting. And, and, you know, what was scaring me was as moves changes. I was budgeting for this thing. I was spending real money buying real stuff. You know, my caps my were almost $70,000. My bathrooms were $150,000. I mean, and I wasn't even putting in a kitchen. I was just cleaning it up, floors, ceilings, a little bit of equipment. So uh, then the brewery piece is okay. I've got the design, I'm good. It's been ordered, deposit sent, being built in in, uh, in Vancouver Island. And um, I, uh, a good friend of mine who is part of one of the TV net, or radio networks here, he says, well, his coworker's son is a brewer and he's considering moving. And so that's how I found our brewer. He was a brewer that had about eight years experience in the brewing world and uh, had done uh, online courses, had done some, uh, some updating, but was just a great human being and culturally a good fit and committed to quality. You could tell that he, he wasn't interested in drinking bad beer. And uh, yeah, so that was great. We got him, so he's now a part of the program and we're feeling good. And, and uh, he's starting to put some thought to how to build this brewery and all the little details. And it, the brewery came together easier than I thought. And because at the end of the day, it's like a kitchen. I mean, at the end of the day, there is enough information to tell us how to lay out a pretty good kitchen. Um, it may not be personalized down to your expectation, but it'd be functional. And so we knew that we were also limited in space. And that was also gonna be a challenge of how far could we go as a brewery in 2,500 square feet. Uh, we've put, since put two sea cans outside. You store a lot of stuff out there. And we're in the process of looking at a new location to expand the brewery and build a newer restaurant and another one. But we, um, um, so you know, the thing that I think is really important here is that the decision was made to kill the old brand because we knew it didn't have the
0: legs to go. So some um, people, some people right. might think of the process. Well, brazen hall at round Table, right? right. Some we people would, might say, some people might say, yeah, include that. Because it's been there for two decades, three decades, however long. Sure. Right decades, sure. you know, why not sure. include that? But you decided to kill that and just totally yeah. move forward. Do people, do people ever say anything to you about the old place? Um, mm-hmm. Do people miss it? Um, what's, what's the uh, whole vibe of that?
1: Yeah, so we stayed closed for 10 months. When we opened, we had gilded, the building was wrapped outside. You know, you could tell the building was gone. When we, when we did the reveal, it was a new place outside was completely different everything changed right um no additions but the entire layout was totally different the location of the front door was basically the same space and uh it was enough for most people but there were people that walked in when we opened sat down and said where's the menu what is this where's the round table menu and i thought that was really something i was actually pretty irritated by it i was like holy cow you gotta get clean those glasses man you
0: know? spent <laughs> we'll spending millions of dollars they're looking for what you had. <laughs> oh,
1: my God. And I'm telling you, it was black and white, the difference like you could not you could not find one little detail. We we did repurpose every piece of wood. We had a, a great friend of ours who was involved in helping um, uh, teenage indigenous kids in Canada he built a house and had uh, kids at high risk with him. And he was a uh, NFL football player and a CFL football player in Winnipeg. Amazing friend. Uh, Kelly Butler's his name. And he uh, did a charity to help children. And so he had a bunch of beautiful indigenous kids from some of our northern reserves who were going through challenges. And he brought them to us when we were demoing. And they spent about three, four, five months with us helping us demo. And we were you know, in the process of the beginning phases, we didn't bring crews in because we had some bodies and we had some time. So we were doing a lot of little work and these boys played with us. So we, we got involved in that and it it was a part of our model because, you know, that was another piece. How do you actually, you know, saying you're local, what does that mean? You have a house in town? I mean, how do you be local? And so that's investing back in your community, being a part of it. And so we, we're we really big on that. I mean, even in, in COVID days, we said we will not make one penny during this cycle. We will invest everything we make, if we can, into our local community. And we have donated, Uh, we sent a $4,000 check just a few days ago over an event we did to two charities uh, because we could. And so that was the other part about being sincere about who we were, like being real. And it wasn't the game. I know we want to make money. I know at the end of the day, we got to pay our bills. We all want to retire. We want a strategy to get so that, you know, when we're at a certain point, this is still fun, right? And and so we, you know, in our model, we realized that the only way to ask people to be a part of your local business was to be honest about being local. And, and so that's what we worked really hard on. So it was a big part of what we did. And and, uh, and it was important because there's lots of things going on, lots of restaurants out there. And, uh, you know, so it was a part of our authenticity and about what we're about. And so um, that that whole transition from round table to Brazen Hall was key. And just to be clear, I will be almost triple the sales of the roundtable's best numbers ever.
0: I wanted to talk about that? I definitely want yeah. to talk about that. So yeah. so yeah, so while we're talking about that, um, so it takes ten months to open up. What yeah. is your first year like, sales wise? As far as right. what we're expecting, the the overall yeah. community um, was it was was the community expecting this? Um, did yeah. they, come, right. let's talk about the first year sales.
1: Yeah. So, so not a lot of craft brewery type places, not a lot of craft bars in the market, uh, kind of, it's kind of coming. We're seeing Western Canadian beers arriving brands that people are starting to connect with new flavors. So it's really early. And I remember even when we started the IPA on tap was interesting how slow it moved now <laughs> it's slow, slow it move. <laughs> and, and, it, and it took two years and the market exploded, right?
0: How many IPA taps yeah. do you have now? I mean, uh, I,
1: I, Well, you know, we, right, we commit to 10 taps in the building, all ours, and at least half of them have got some hops in them. I mean, it could <laughs> be a pale ale. It could be a hop Belgian. Who knows, right? Right, and, right. Right. We, we did a really neat smash. just a little while we were testing. Uh, I'm in the process of opening up a malting facility out here. Oh, so we were We were bringing in some product from actually the Carolinas to do some testing on the plant that we were looking at. And so we, we made a smash with this product out of Carolina and uh, it was awesome, super fun. It was the hops that made it playful, you know, it's always a good Great. time. Great. But um, yeah, so, so it's, uh, yeah,
0: keep going. So sales, so sales, your first year, did right. it meet your expectations sales. or where were you?
1: Yeah, we, we predicted 3.6 million in our first year and we, bit, we did 3.58. Okay. And uh, it was on the nut and we based it on um, a minimum of $26 per head, which grew to $31 um and uh well it didn't run away it was right around 26 dollars, which was our model and um we knew that we had 200 seats so that's what we were here we 200 seats patio was not ready yet it was going to happen later um we'd, we were running out of money as usual destruction uh, i did the general so i hired everybody i almost killed myself my blood pressure went from 120 over 80 to 180 over 120 like it was out of control right yeah like i i almost killed myself and uh and so we went through that process, but, but we also became experts in our business by torturing ourselves. I'm not sure I recommend that, but uh, uh, anyways. So business the three, three point six uh, was all there, of that business was in the restaurant because we were only making beer for ourselves. Oh, wow. At that time.
0: OK. All right. Right. What was your best year? What was your best year at Roundtable?
1: Uh, two point. I think it just hit two point five.
0: So you're, you're already a million dollars ahead
1: million dollars ahead and I was at five percent at the round table and I'm working on 14 hitting nine and a half ten and a half in my first year so not only have I doubled the you know grown the sales by a hundred or a million bucks I'm also trying to get three times the the you know the profits out of this profit. thing because wow. of the design and the biggest thing was all the seats are full the price point is is approachable by more people and beef The cost of beef is not in my way. Those three things were massive in the ability to be profitable uh, by bringing a more broader menu, by focusing on more playfulness, creativity, all of that, right? Um, Beer accounted for 30% of our sales. Wonderful. In total.
0: Wonderful.
1: And the total of beer and liquor was around 42%. So another 12% in wine and cocktails uh, overall. And yeah, and then food was sitting at 58. Now food is around 65%. And that's probably because nobody's in the building. We've done so much takeout, right? For this whole right. season. Right. Um, and we uh, we were already um, you know, so then the second year we were 3.9, and then we were we were, and then the third year uh, we saw a 60% growth because what was happening was we were coming out into Christmas, doing you know, 120s, 130s in the weeks. March or sorry, Jan Feb had been one of our better quarters, and we were going to be $100,000 weeks. So we were basically really close to that 80, 100 grand a week, which gets you in the four and a half, $5 million category pretty quick. And so we saw that already there. We already fixed our, our summer business had shifted. We had a patio that was going to open. So we knew and our, our $26 was going to 31. And so we had all these things. And then we were about to launch our brewery, which was worth between five and a million. In its first year, on top of the restaurant and the, the wholesale restaurant. sales, you mean? That's right. That's, yeah.
0: That's wow. And,
1: yeah, and so this was about to explode in that year that COVID hit us. Unfortunately, that March, actually, I was at my meeting with my group in Florida, and then I did my birthday, March fifth, in Tampa Bay, it's this beautiful little cigar slash Eater bar, and uh, and then we we were all sitting there staring at the. The gun, you know, because we realized COVID was about to beat us up pretty bad. And uh, I remember looking at each other saying, wow, you know, the timing is shocking because I had just put another quarter million dollars of brewing equipment into my brewery. I had bought my own canning line. We were ready to go. We were serious. We were going to be smaller batch artisan, really focused on local palate. And then, and then the playfulness would come. And what happened was instead of doing that, we shut down. We didn't spend the money on the marketing piece, which was to really rebrand that and really dial into can design and all that. We kind of launched in a way that was fine, but not as exciting as we'd hoped. And, um, and so it was a very um, interesting time to see that. Now, saying that, whatever, the thing is, is that we are now, we, like right now, we're running at 50%. And, as of yesterday in our market, we were at hundred percent, but we were still doing you know sixty back up into the sixties, and uh, we haven't even opened yet, right
0: okay, great. oh so, yeah, you're planning yeah. To reopen. so now um wow you're so you're almost you're gonna push five million dollars yeah, wow, so double doubling what the round table ever did um you gotta be feel you gotta be feeling really good about your decisions really
1: good yeah yeah i mean there was a there were a couple of moments in the process where you know you're always questioning yourself but but um, we were we realized and we actually were we've we've been in uh maybe 40 35 40 food competitions we have uh, we are the dominant burger restaurant in winnipeg we're not even a hamburger restaurant but you know the commitment to quality and all those things were, were key to us so we won the burger week here in winnipeg it's a hundred and hundred and 150 restaurants that compete. We've won it three years in a row. Beautiful. Um, Congrats. Yeah. And even this year, we came in fourth. And we were, uh, I think we were came in fourth and fifth in the nation uh, in that grouping. And then we won another award nationally as the 21st best hamburger restaurant in Canada. You know, deluxe burgers.
0: Congrats. Um,
1: we have over 30 food awards we've won from gold to silver to bronze um, in all sorts of categories. And that was part of that was to make sure that we were committed to doing real food,
0: right? Great, great. And there was, Sounds like you can easily one of the most awarded uh, brew pubs in the country.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, where we haven't really spent a lot of time on is on the brewery side <laughs> because we were only brewed pre- for ourselves. So we have yet to get better at that and get, to do that. But it is a great
0: way to create marketing. It's a great way. Word of mouth is amazing. Let's talk about marketing for let's talk about marketing for a moment. We're, we're, for sure. This is a really long interview, not really long, but you got your a ton of great stuff. So I really don't wanna I don't wanna cut this off. Um so if we are gonna just stay with this here because we're gonna get into marketing next. Sure. I remember you used to do you used to do gift cards in what, Costco or Sam's Club. Do yeah. You do that anymore?
1: No, I don't. I um if I'm discounting, it's to give to a charity. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I do not do that anymore. Um, now, saying that, that's a very interesting conversation because, you know, one of the luxuries of that group that we were involved with was that they really gave you ways to get out of the hole. And because most of us showed up there with a, oh boy, I'm in trouble. Right. Right? Yeah. We, most of the guys showing up weren't showing up in their first five years saying, yeah, I got a great concept. Yeah, you that'll know, make me better. They were, most of us were panicking, right? And so um, the marketing techniques that I used at the round table, uh, and even then, uh, the difference between a sub, sub shop or shop food sandwiches and a pizza restaurant and a steakhouse, they all have different demographics, different people responding differently. Um, we, we decided that we would not do any marketing in the sense of classic media, uh, so radio and all that. And then we... We did later add in some branding. So we did add that uh, because we also wanted to work on uh, expanding the brand. And so we've done some branding work. Most of what we do is um, charity-based and or just playfulness. Okay. Um, Love it. Right? We, we, we were full every single day of the week, always. So the difference was, did it start at 4.30 or 6 and did it last till 8 o'clock or 10? And so on a Tuesday, we'd have a lineup for 20 minutes for, you know, 10 people waiting to get in. Um, and on a Friday, we'd have an hour and a half wait. People would be, you know, phoning us to find out when they can get in.
0: And say how many, um, seats, say how many seats you are again? How many seats are you? I'm 200. 200 seats. Okay. Yeah. So on a Tuesday yeah. night, 200 seats, you got people waiting.
1: I got people wait. On every single night, I got people waiting.
0: Beautiful. So
1: when that happens, when you're lucky enough to pull that, you know, whatever it is you've done, the nuances of who you are and all your personal pieces and all that comes together. When you get to that point, now it's, it is about obviously more focus for me was on quality of service, quality of product, you know, all of that, cleanliness and so on. So we spent our money in developing our people, (coughs) excuse me, creating, learning how to become culture focused and what that meant. Because that's a buzzword that, is uh, way harder to tackle than it is to say it. Uh, culture is a monster. And so we've, we've been on that one heavily. We have a culture. We hire in three very key pieces. And that's a whole separate conversation. I'll quickly say it. It's attitude. It's work ethic. It's teamwork. We hire in those three things. We don't hire anybody with a resume. Can't walk in and get hired. You've got to go to our website. You've got to fill out the 45-minute document we expect you to fill out before we talk to you. Wow! you don't want to put that time in, we don't need to talk to you. That's wow. all. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We're really tough. Uh, we will screen through 100 people to talk to three and we'll let most of that process do a piece of that. We've, we're always updating it and learning it. Um, but it has been extremely important because, you know, uh, Pals, was it Pals Fast Food?
0: Pals in Tennessee.
1: Yeah. They they had the same attitude. They, they really understood the belief that, everybody, you know, there are a lot of great people out there. It doesn't matter if they're 13 or 65 or 85, it doesn't matter. Right. And it's really about how do you bring it out of them? What do you do for them to bring it out of them? Versus exactly. Why aren't they doing it our way, you know? Right. And, right. And so we do hire on attitude first because we do know that we're not brain surgeons. There's nothing very special that I do. Um, anybody can do it. And, uh, and so it's really about finding that attitude, right? And then that little... The, 100%. The
0: and work with them, right. work with them, work with them, work with them.
1: That's right.
0: People have the attitude. That's, that's fantastic. You can teach them everything else.
1: Absolutely. Um, so marketing for us was more about um, the internal guest experience. We, are, we, were, we were pretty thin on talent. Uh, Chris Kopansky is my partner. Uh, he's the operations manager. He's the restaurateur in my group. He's the guy that's been managing restaurants for 20 years. He, he this is his thing. He's youthful. He understands what it is to be hip and fun. Uh, he's not an old funny daddy wondering why nobody wants tomato juice with their with their liver and onions,
0: right?
1: <laughs> and so so he really was the one that, you know, the biggest thing for him was to take my background, which so working for Auto Trader in Canada, I had an amazing experience. I grew a lot. And a lot of it was the corporate piece, was the understanding of HR, the purpose of HR it's not a policing network and that's the mistake a lot of us believe hr is there right. to make sure staff don't steal from us well <laughs> hire people that don't steal and that's a much easier thing right <laughs> and so when they, when you look at human resources you're talking about the best resource of your entire business so we are so dialed into that that that's the conversation we have all the time is is what are we doing right and wrong to you know, offer this and, and we know we're making mistakes. We know that our personalities aren't specifically designed for certain things. I personally don't know the names of the staff. I do not speak to anybody that isn't executive level so that I don't confuse the messaging. I only talk to my leaders and they then disseminate through and they take the message on. They're measured on those things, but that way uh, they're given the support they need to develop their people. It's 80 80 people, right? This isn't 12 of us. It's 80 of
0: us in this building. This is so important what you just said. People walk around and they don't follow the chain of command and including the person on the top. So they'll just, they'll go around, manage, wandering by, manage by wandering around, say something to somebody. Then all of a sudden the supervisor has no idea. Well, the boss told me this or the boss never told me and the boss is away somewhere. And it's like, it's like, then it creates a whole, uncertainty, lack of organization. And I'm a huge advocate for every business, every operation should have their chain of command posted. So even new hires, the lower people need to know where to go first. Like, where do I go? Here's who I'm going to. And why would I go to somebody who's on a totally different chain in the dining room and I'm in the kitchen? They're not really my chain of command. You know, they might be somewhere in both, but go up your chain of command and the chain of command at the top needs to go down in the opposite direction absolutely
1: so, no differently than when uh when a boss boy runs over or a, sir you know one of my support staff run over and say you know ask me a question and i know the answer but they're not following the process so i say to them you need to ask the right person and they look at me like that's stupid now if it was hey how do you do cpr i gotta save a life obviously right. i'm all over it right but when i tell you where do we find the toilet paper
0: there's the uh, toilet uh, yeah. paper. Yeah, raise right. the toilet paper. Yep.
1: That's, that's right.
0: But Those the are levels of music is supposed to be on, 100%. Right. I agree with you. Yeah. And I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm the same <laughs> way. I'm the same exact it's way. Don't, don't come to me to change <laughs> a keg yeah. of beer. Don't come to me to. That's not my.
1: Right. Right. I mean, worst case, if there's nothing there, absolutely. The door is always open. But, but I also explain to them why I say that. Is that, unless it's very important that if you don't know where the toilet paper is, it's possible toilet paper isn't where it's supposed to be. It's possible we're out of it, so the people that need to be involved in this little funny conversation are the leader on the floor who knows where it is, and then secondly, is if it's not there, then it goes to the chef who does the ordering, and we find out an emergency solution if that's the case. And yep. so, if Christian just goes, blah, blah, that's not helping anybody. That's
0: not, it's not helping anybody. Okay. Yep. Right. I um and I
1: think that's what.
0: I'm a huge fan. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I'm a huge fan of of of, of the two process um, job description. I hand them their job description yeah. and then I hand them my job description. Mm. Mm. Anytime you want to trade, we can do that. But it requires <laughs> money It requires stressing, it requires (laughs) taking a phone call at 2 a.m., you know, in case of doors and whatever, right? That's right. My my, my job requires 6 a.m. in the office, making sure everybody gets their paycheck every single week. I haven't missed a week in 18 years. This is my job. Your job, You do your job. If you don't do your job and I have to do it, then I can't do my job. And then everybody loses out on the team.
1: Right, right. And if you have to do their job, odds are probably don't do it as well as they do anyways because it's not your specialty anymore here's the other thing that's an important thing for a restaurant owner is that when i walk into the restaurant i've already seen 10 or 20 things i mean i am a hawkeye about light bulb or dust or or stuff or clutter in a corner like you know, I'm joking, I'll say this, and I say this with all respect, but there are certain types of restaurants where you walk in, there's a table, it's got old newspapers, it's got a phone, the kid's doing, you know, the the kid, the owner's kid is there playing a video game, somebody's got a laptop, it's very cluttersome and messy. Yep. So, my bar top is massive, my bar seats almost 40 people, and I don't want anything on my bar top. Except it's to OS yeah. to happen. 40, 40
0: no, it's going to happen, 40 seats, yeah
1: right and then you sit in every seat in your restaurant and you say what am i seeing and so i look at anywhere from the hostess stand which is always a bit of an issue because they've got cleaning product and you know blah 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 and the bar top is a quick place that drops an old rag or whatever and so you say to yourself you know what are people seeing it's, i drove by a really cool brewery a good friend of mine but as i drove by the windows had clutter pushed up against them that the beauty of the window would have been lost the, the organizational Attractiveness of the place was gone. It looked like they could be going out of business. And so that was really important to recognize it. But I don't walk in and yell at the hostess or the, the supervisor. I'll send a friendly response at a timely time and I won't do it at nine o'clock at night. It'll be sent tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. because that person's gone home anyways. And so unless it's an emergency, they'll deal with it. They'll know it's not being handled. They'll check why the checklists aren't being followed, whatever the process right. is, right? So you know, so so as we get here, and, I, and it's important. Is I, and I love this conversation because I, when I think of this experience we went through, the things we learned was how to recognize that a brand had legs or not. How to do that, and to recognize where in your process are you? Can you recover your brand or not? And there's a point where you can't, where it is over branded a certain way, right. uh, whatever it might be, right? And, and so at that moment, then it's a financial discussion about how do we move forward or do we, do we sell and move on or do we start all over somewhere else? Right. Um, and so that walking through that process happened. We did that. Then it was the financial viability, vo- vo- you know, to do, be able to do something like this and to run the numbers, to make sure it made sense. We did that. And then it was, can I get the best people? And one thing that my father always said was, you know, the average price for a lawyer today, let's call it 150 bucks for the average, and the very best to get you out of prison if you're a terrible president or a movie star who's done something wrong, that could be a thousand bucks an hour. We're not in that category. So from one hundred and fifty to four hundred dollars for fifty hours a year, who cares? Get the best lawyer, budget for it, right? Yes. Don't take the cousin that's your friend. Don't you know? Go to the best. And so we have great designers in Manitoba beautiful work architectural work some of the buildings here are amazing Um, things that are going on but we don't have a lot of new restaurants so there wasn't a lot of experience in converting emotion into unique classic kind of whatever it is that we wanted so we went to a group out of la that did that for us and they were spectacular and they did a great job for us and that was a very important phase to spend the money on that and And also to recognize that I could give you the layout that I knew would work the the certain elements of my business, but they were the ones that put the sparkle on. And then what I found was as I generaled it, you know, I had a design on a wall, but it, it didn't work with the local wood I had, they wanted older wood. I'm using, you know, Aspen or whatever. I was able to then get personal about it and to, to recognize that, you know, we wanted it to look aged or we didn't or whatever. And we went that route with the guidelines of what we were given but it was really exciting to get personal and uh and so we did that and then it was the 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 scariest part is when we do that transition even though you have a bit of an idea of your menu and you kind of have an idea of what the place is going to look like you really don't know what your real final finished offer is and it it took us six months before we felt like we were starting to feel like brazen hall and then now when I look at who we are, I'm really excited about what we are. And I feel like I have the direction I need to go, but it's taken, it took me two, three years to really dial in our concept.
0: That's so important. That is so important. I mean, it's just, people just rush things and, and you have to be <laughs> evolving, small evolutions, you know, it's like flying yeah. an airplane, just keep it on course, keep it on course, keep it on course. And you'll get to the destination. And right. I mean, you you're saying some, Really amazing! I wish I had some sound effects going on here because you're doing so- <laughs>
1: like,
0: a, like a pan sizzling or something. Because you there's a lot of sizzle in this, a lot of sizzle in this interview. So a lot of uh, a lot of really great content. So Christian, how can people find you on on yeah. online and in your brick and mortar? We're
1: right on. So we are uh, 800 Pemina in Winnipeg, Manitoba. Uh, right, we are uh, two hours north of Grand Forks, North Dakota, as our location. Uh, we're a million people here. Um, we are Brazenhall.ca or Brazenbrewing.ca, and um, you can always find me there. And I'm I'm Christian at Brazenhall.ca at uh, Christian K R I S T J A N. You're welcome to say hello anytime and come by for a beer. Um, and uh, yeah, we've we we are excited. We're um, we're really starting to work on. Um, the, vi- the viability of, of tripling the size of our brew house and, um, and then, you know, how do we do that? Uh, that's a big undertaking. And so those are some fun things we're working on now. And so and we've got two smaller concept restaurants in the same brand that we're working on. So we're excited about the future for sure.
0: Cool. Cool, cool, cool. Now, how about Instagram? How can, how can people find your business on Instagram?
1: Yeah, Brazen Hall is uh, on Instagram, Brazen Brewing and Brazen Hall. So, Brazen Hall, just hashtag Brazen Hall okay. and Brazen Brewing. They're all there. And uh, same with Facebook and all the others. I'm serving. Beautiful. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, we're having fun. And, uh, yeah, this has been really great.
0: This has been amazing, Christian. This has really been amazing. And uh, hopefully we can get up there at some point. And uh, are you heading off to any conferences in, um, in New York at all, uh, in the US at all? Any conference?
1: Well, I've been working on a year, you're right. And now that the borders are open, we're able to get it going, it's really awesome. I unfortunately, actually, today's an interesting day. So, so to, to put this in perspective of, of the opportunities and challenges, I'm fighting cancer. So my hair is starting to fall out today, Can you can believe it? Oh, wow. So in this process, I'm in my second wave of chemo, uh, good diagnosis, I'm okay. You know, it's a it's a process you go through, um, and uh, as a brazen member, hey, bring on the fight. I'm fine with it, um, but uh, so I can't travel for the next till probably June, okay. and so I've had to back off on that. But I've been hunting, and even just sitting talking to you, you know, you, you've helped me so much. You reminded me of the things that we really our core beliefs and how to stick to them, and you got me excited again. So awesome. it's been fabulous talking to you,
0: Mark. I was gonna try to twist your arm and say, come meet us in Vegas at the uh, Bar Nightclub show.
1: Oh, I want it to go so bad because it's right around my birthday. So the party, like the fun. And <laughs> I don't know if you noticed, but I like to have fun. <laughs>
0: so,
1: so yeah, but uh, you know, when this whole mess is over, for sure, I'm gonna be traveling, I've got family in Boston. I'm gonna get out and visit my friends and I buy awesome. come by you for sure.
0: Awesome. Awesome, Christian. This has been a pleasure. Um, best of luck to you. Best of luck with the reopening and uh, and uh, everything in the near future. It was great talking to you. And uh, let's definitely talk again.
1: Absolutely. A total pleasure. Thanks again.